Hey, this is Rob Coburn, and we are excited that you're joining with us today. If you're a part of the Summit Dover family, whether in person or online, we'd love to connect with you via social media at the Summit Dover on all social media outlets and on our website, thesummitdover.com. We can get you plugged into our app or our YouTube channel, as well as giving options and opportunities to connect with the Summit Dover family all around the world. I hope this word today encourages you and inspires you. Let's jump into the message. You may be seated today. And as they bring the stuff up uh, on the platform, we have been in this series called Stand, and it comes from the core scripture references in Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 13. It says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers of darkness of this age, principalities and powers, rulers in darkness of this age, spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. So we've been, we've been hearing a lot of things, a lot of stories, many of them that you are connected with, you know, you can relate to, hopefully that you get a word from the Lord about But I am so excited that today we have two more people presenting to us their stories. Is that fun? Is that good? Yeah? So get out your notebooks. I know, um, now just to tell you, everybody that's been on this platform, I have not told them what to bring. God shares with them who they relate to in scripture and that's who they're going to bring forth. So I I encourage you, we know that we retain 30% more when we take notes. And how are you going to sit down at Starbucks this week and share what God spoke to you if you don't have it written down? So please get out your notes. Mickey Berry and Sabrina Archer, we welcome you to the platform. Share what God's got for us. Thank you. Oh, there we are. Okay. (laughs) Um, Before we get started, I'm just going to open us up in some prayer. We're both a little nervous. (laughs) All right. Um, Oh, Lord, I just want to thank you so much. For this day, I think it's a beautiful day, even though it's raining outside, because your rain is so refreshing, Lord. And so, God, I just pray that you would pour out your spirit in this place. You've already begun to move, and I pray that that would continue. Um, And Lord, even if Sabrina and I uttered complete gibberish, God, I pray that you would speak to each and every heart in this room and to every person who's watching um, online. And God, I just thank you so much for your grace and for the opportunity for both Sabrina and I to grow um, together as friends and also together um, in studying your word and sharing that word to other people. I just thank you so much, God, for everything that you're doing in this house, and I just pray that you would just continue to multiply it. In your name I pray. Amen. Well, good morning. So thank you, Pastor Rob, for giving Mickey and I the opportunity to share what the Lord put on our hearts. Um, So with that, I am going to get into the person I chose, and that's Hannah. So a little bit of background, first of all, because when the Lord put Hannah on my heart, I was like, that's great, but I don't really know a lot about her, to be completely honest. So when we're going into Hannah's story in 1 Samuel, before that, I just kind of want to recap of what Israel looked like at the time. So when we look at what Israel looked like, we go through the book of Judges and Ruth, and we see that 
The Israelites were in a very dark time. The world for the Israelites was very corrupt. They had drifted away from God after Joshua had died. And I want to kind of tie that into Hannah's story because she really stood on the peace that she got after she prayed and spent an intimate time with her father. So during that time of Hannah's life, we see it begin in 1 Samuel. So she's the first out of two wives of Elkanah. So as we enter to Samuel, we kind of see there's a potential for some confusion here with him having two wives. So Penina is the second wife. Um, and the scripture tells us Hannah was very loved by her husband, but she wasn't able to have children. So we're shown that in Hannah's life, scripture tells us that the Lord actually closed her womb. So Penina was the second wife and she had many children. Um, so basically in ancient Israel, if you couldn't conceive in that time, it was said that you potentially had a curse from God. So anytime that Penina could throw this in Hannah's face, she took the opportunity to throw it in her face. Um, and I so admire Hannah because even before her encounter with the Lord and her prayer with the Lord, in scripture, it doesn't tell us of any time of her coming back at Penina or even her husband being bitter. It doesn't show any of that. So I really admire her for that. Um, but her dream was to have a child. That's, that's what the Lord put on her heart. And at the time, she didn't know why the Lord put that on her heart, but that was her dream, and she just desired that. So when we look through Scripture, it tells us that her and her husband, they basically took the whole family to Shiloh, to the tabernacle every year to worship and do a peace offering um, to the Lord. So when we look at that, we see that year after year, Hannah would just weep. She was distraught. Her dream was not coming true. It was thrown in her face constantly that it wasn't coming true. She didn't know why. She didn't know something was wrong with her. And her husband, during that time, saw her weeping to the point of she wouldn't eat. She was just distraught. Her husband was giving her a double portion and the rest of the family just a single portion because he loved her. And in that moment, scripture tells us that her husband said, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than 10 sons? Logic. Husband logic. We all got to love that, right? <laughs> um, but as true as that is, I can just sympathize with Hannah because I'm sure she was thinking, yes, you're right, and I love you, and I, I will express that to you, but I still have a dream, and it's still not being fulfilled, and I don't know why in this moment. And so we see her kind of struggle with that. Um, so at that time, if I were Hannah, I would feel very alone. So we see that she continues to weep, not month after month. 
maybe a year, no, it says years, she continued this when they went to the tabernacle. And then something changed. So this is where she took it all to the Lord. So they were at the tabernacle one year and Hannah just poured her heart out to the Lord. And so much so that words weren't coming out of her mouth, but her lips were moving. And it was such an intent prayer that Eli, the priest at the time, actually accused her of being drunk, which I thought was interesting. Um, but after she came out of that prayer and that intimate time with her father, she finds peace, we find out. So during that time in scripture, it says she pleaded, Lord of armies, if you will take note of your servant's affliction, remember and not forgive me and give your servant a son. I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and his hair will never be cut. So she says this, she prays her prayer. She gets accused of being drunk and she, she tells the priest, um, no, my Lord, Hannah replied, I am a woman with a broken heart. I haven't had any wine or beer. I've been pouring out my heart before the Lord. Don't think of me as a wicked woman. I've been praying from the depths of my anguish. So at that time, he tells, the priest tells her, go in peace and may God of Israel grant the request that you've made. So the interesting thing about this to me is he just told us he couldn't understand what she was saying so much to the point where he, she, he thought that she was drunk but he saw the divine touch of God on her when she spent time with the father and he said I will bless you and he says may the God of Israel grant the request you've made of him without even knowing what she said he could tell that there was a divine appointment and that the Lord spoke to her or that she spoke to the Lord and poured her heart out. So after she speaks to the Lord and spends that time with him, she says, or I'm sorry, Hannah went on her way and ate and no longer looked disponent. So she's at peace, which is the amazing thing about God. And this isn't in my notes, but I'm going to kind of go off track here a little bit. <laughs> so sometimes we're in a situation that we never thought we would be in, and we just see what's in front of us. And recently in my life, I have really found the importance of being in the throne room and spending time with the Lord. Um, because when you're at points in your life where you are completely broken, you have support from loved ones, spouse, no matter how wonderful they may be, you're so broken that the only way that you can be fulfilled is when you seek the Lord. So we go on in Hannah's story. And I believe when she finds that peace, this is really when she starts standing in the Lord. So she tells the Lord, if you give me a son, I will dedicate him to you. And that's what she did. So the Lord did bless her with the son, Samuel. And rather than just giving him back to 
the Lord, which she did. She dedicated him to the Lord and brought him back to the tabernacle after three years. And he lived his life fulfilling um, what the Lord had for him. But she went a step further than that. And he was raised in the Nazarite vow his whole life. So I think that's another interesting thing about Hannah is she really did stand and she said, no, Lord, yes, I'm going to dedicate him to you, but I'm going to go that extra mile and he's going to be a Nazarite and he's going to live out that vow the rest of his life. So Hannah's obedience was incredible and the grace that she showed to the priest, to the second wife, to her husband, it was all just divine and I am just in amazement of this woman, to be honest. Um, but then I want to look at her giving her son back. So she did that and she sang a praise to the Lord in a prayer, not knowing that she was going to have more children. She didn't know that at the time. She gave him back and was in awe that the Lord even blessed her with one son and then gave him to the priest and he didn't even live with her then. After he was three years old, he, he went away to be with the priest's family. Um, but the Lord then eventually does go on and bless her with three more sons and two daughters. And I am just in awe of, of her heart position through all of this. And she's just an amazing woman. But the impact of her stand, Samuel ended up becoming a priest. He was the last judge of Israel. Um, and then he did end up appointing Saul and King David, and he was one of the early prophets of the Bible. So if she wouldn't have stood, then that wouldn't have happened. So, yeah. Yeah. Ooh. Um, before, I, ooh, before I get started, uh, I just want to share something that I thought that was really cool and just showed how the Lord was in this process because when Pastor Rob was like, hey, I want you and Sabrina to do this, I was like, okay, that sounds terrifying, but okay, let's do it. And as I was like, okay, God, like, who do you want me to do? And I was like thinking, and Hannah came to my mind, and I was like, nah, and I moved on, and I was like, okay, whatever. And then I ended up um, landing on Mary Magdalene, and Sabrina and I, when we were working, we did a lot of time at Newgrounds prepping for this, and she said, I was telling her about that, and she goes, Mary Magdalene came to my mind. And I was like, nah. And so I just thought that was a really cool story of like, just how the Lord moves, even in the little things. Um, but yeah, so I'm gonna be talking about Mary Magdalene, which is exciting because I feel like the Bible says a lot about her in very few verses. <laughs> um, and just, just to also, just a warning, I'm gonna be throwing out a lot of scripture references because it, all four Gospels talk about Mary, and so I'm gonna give you the gist of the content, and then I'll tell you where it's found. So my note takers, if you wanna go back and look it up later, you can look it up, but I'm not gonna be reading all of them because we'd be here for a while. Um, but anyways, but getting into Mary's story, so Mary Magdalene, um, Magdalene means of Magdala, which is a city on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. So her name tells, her where she's tells us where she's from. And the interesting thing about Mary is there's a lot of confusion about who she is. So really quickly, I just wanna scan the room. By a show of hands, raise your hand if you've ever been told that Mary Magdalene was a prostitute and like a really sinful woman. We got a couple, yeah, okay. So we got like decent amount of hands across the room. Um, that's a pretty, com I thought that coming into this, that was something that I had heard. 
I don't remember where I heard it, I just kind of, it was one of those things I've picked it up since I was a kid and I just thought that, that was the case. The interesting thing is nowhere in the word does it actually say that. There's no scriptural evidence that Mary was a prostitute or did anything like that. Um, and so that was really crazy for me to realize. Um, and then I was like, okay, so where is this coming from? Why do we think this about Mary? Why have we been told that this is her identity? And what I learned is her story is conflated with a passage in Luke 7. It's verses 36 through 50. And it's the story of the sinful woman who anointed Jesus' feet. And so we know that she came in and she was crying and she broke the alabaster jar and she's anointing Jesus' feet and she's wiping his feet with her tears. And then the, the disciples are like, Jesus, this is a sinful woman. Like the, the people, the Pharisees, excuse me, were like, this is a sinful woman. If you know who, what she was about, then you wouldn't be letting her touch you because she's despicable and destitute and disgusting. And Jesus then teaches the parable about um, forgiveness and he talks about those who have been forgiven much, love much. And so that story, um, everybody just assumed that was, there's this connection that somehow that was Mary. But um, as I was studying it, I don't find any evidence that that was actually her. But the other thing that's kind of interesting is, so let me look at this here. The early Western church didn't like the idea of a powerful woman and a woman that the Lord had empowered to do ministry. Um, I'm very grateful for Foursquare because we're, we're all about women in ministry. Um, that's why I'm sitting up here. But anyways, but it was interesting. So this, from what I gathered from Google searches, um, this like lie and this conflation about Mary dates all the way back to the sixth century with Pope Gregory the Great. Um, from what I gathered, he was the first one to really like spread this message that this passage in Luke is Mary. And so we have to look at her as this sinful woman that the Lord did this amazing work in, but she was lowly and we have to look at her as such. And she can't be this empowered woman that the Lord had a call for. Um, so that's what, she, that's who she's not. So now let's talk about who she is. So like I said, she's from uh, Magdala. And what we do know is from Mark 16, 9 and Luke 8, 2, we know that she is a woman that has been delivered and of uh, seven demons. And seven is the number of wholeness or completion in the Bible. And so while we don't, it doesn't really give us too much context about what that oppression looked like in her life, we know that it was intense. We know that it was severe because like seven being the number of wholeness, there was a lot going on there. Um, and then the other thing, I think when people hear the word demons, they automatically think of like the story of um, the man who was possessed with legion that you find in Mark 5 and in Luke 8, where he was crazy, he was living out in the graveyard, he was naked, running around causing a ruckus. And while that does happen, um, we don't necessarily, there's not any evidence to indicate that that was the case with Mary. Um, what I believe um, is that she, it was more in physical ailments and in mental illness and those things that it was an internal battle where she was living her daily life, but her internal struggle was immense. And so that just, for me, even makes Jesus healing her that much more powerful because he redeemed her from a life of suffering and an internal battle where she probably felt super alone because it wasn't necessarily something evidenced to the rest of the world. Um, 
And either way, it was a big, it was a big deal. It wasn't a small miracle that Jesus did in her life. And so, honestly, I was thinking about it. I was like, okay, if Jesus did that to me, uh, or if anybody did something like that in my life, I'm pretty sure I would drop everything and follow him too because that's where the power is. And my whole life shifted because of that one action. You know, I went from who I was leading up to this point and I'm an entirely new individual. And so everything about my identity and my life rests on what Jesus did for her. Um, so that's just, yep. The other thing that's interesting about Mary is, so we hear about her, and I'm going to get to it in a minute, um, hear about her at the cross with Jesus. But the only time that we hear about Mary before the crucifixion is for a few little verses, literally three verses at the beginning of Luke 8. Um, and it says, I'm just going to read it to you guys, Luke 8, 1 through 3. Now it came to pass afterward that he went through every city and village, preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others who provided for him from their substance. So there's a lot to unpack in just those three short verses. So again, we see that Mary had seven demons, and the Lord healed her of that. But the other thing that's pretty cool is you see at the end of verse 3, it says, so we, we hear about this group of women that was kind of following in the pack. So we hear about the disciples, and we know that other people followed. And so there was this group of women. They followed Jesus through his whole ministry. Like, I don't know if you guys have recognized that because, you know, it's not talked about very often. But they were there every step of the way, too. They saw the miracles. They saw the things that he did for his years of ministry. Um, <laughs> and so... But what's really cool is it says that they provided for him from their substance. So you don't ever hear about Jesus doing fundraising campaigns or GoFundMes or, hey, guys, I need you to give me money. And, of course, Jesus didn't need it because in his power he could have, I mean, we hear about, like, the fish, the, the coins that came out of the fish. Like, he could make the money come. But this verse tells us that these women who followed in Jesus' crowd were women of means. They had sustenance, and they were the financial backing of this operation which I think is really cool because that was something I had never noticed before. It's crazy when you like take a deep dive and like you really, especially when you have to teach it to someone else, the things that you notice. Oh man. But anyways, so that just shows me another thing about Mary and all of these women's like standing in society. They were women of means, which meant they probably held some sort of um, power and influence in society because, you know, the power follows the money. We just know that's how it works. And so for them to drop everything and follow Jesus and to give all of their money to his ministry, like I just want you to take a second and think about that and let it sink in how like huge that is. That's a big deal. Um, and it was probably pretty, I mean, I, it was pretty scandalous. You know, Mary wasn't married. She didn't have a family. She dropped everything, left the traditional woman at home lifestyle, and went and followed Jesus. And we don't ever see any evidence that she doubted, you know, during that. And I just think that's like huge. <laughs> um, okay, give me a second. But yeah, so, and again, she totally went against the grain and it was great because she had this relationship with Jesus and she had experienced such a transformation that she didn't care about what the world thought about her. She didn't care about what society told her she needed to be or what she was supposed to do. 
because she saw that man named Jesus and she said, I'm following him because that's where the transformation happens. So that's what we hear about her a little bit in Luke. So then the next time we hear about her, um, like I said, is at the crucifixion. But again, we know she's been every step of the way. She's been following this whole time. So um, we hear about her in lots of different passages, like different spots. And it's kind of interesting because each of the gospels gives you a little, I feel like it's a different picture, like different pieces to the puzzle. And you have to kind of put them together to get the full thing. Um, so we hear about her when, so at this point, Jesus is on the cross and it's, she's there in the group with Mary, Jesus' mother, um, when Jesus passes his mom over to John. So Mary is standing there at the cross watching this interaction happen. Um, and then after Jesus had passed, so this is in Matthew 27, verses 55 and 56, Mark 15, verse 40, and Luke 23, verse 49, which Luke, it just says the group of women, so we can deduce that she was there, but the other verses explicitly mention her. So she's at the cross. Um, at this point, it talks about the women were standing from afar watching this, so Jesus had already passed, and so we see the group of women mourning, and so she, like, just another significant thing, um, the disciples scattered when Jesus went to the cross. But Mary was there. She, whoo, I'm about to cry. <laughs> she followed him from the moment that he met her, the moment that she met him, to the very end. Because she cared that much. Um, so we see that passage. She's there looking on. And then after Joseph had placed Jesus' body in the tomb, on Good Friday still, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary uh, went and sat outside the tomb. So we find that in Matthew 27, verse 61, Mark 15, verse 47, and then again at the end of Luke 23. And so I just feel like watching Mary follow Jesus all the way like this was just such like an indication of her faith and the relationship that she developed with Jesus because she was willing when everyone else was ashamed and was running away because they were afraid of their lives. Like she went there, she followed him. She didn't care, again, she didn't care what people thought about her. She didn't care if she was like, she knew that there was risk in following Jesus because everybody hated Jesus at this point. He was not, he was not somebody that you wanted to be associated with in terms of your own health and safety. But she didn't care because she loved him and she knew him and he completely wrecked her life. And so she was like, I have to be faithful to that. Um, you don't follow someone to their death without having a deep relationship. Like, you just don't. <laughs> and so the next time we hear about her is on Easter after Jesus has resurrected from the dead. And with this, when you read the Gospels, there's a little bit of discrepancy as to how the chain of events went exactly. They tell the same story, but sometimes the, the order and the sequence is a little bit um, different. But the passage that I'm going to be reading is John 20, verses 1 through 18, because um, that one gives the most detail, I think. Um, but let me just read this to you guys really quickly. If you want to follow along, oh, sorry. 
And just so you know, my Bible is an NLT, so that's what I'm reading from. But John 20, verses 1 through 18. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. She said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Peter and the other disciples started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other outside disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Don't you love John? Oh. <laughs> he stopped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there, while the cloth that covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and saw and believed. For until then, they had still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. Then they went home. So really quickly, the disciples hear Mary say like, hey, Jesus is gone. They go, they look, they're like, okay, he's gone. And then they leave. Like that was it. But let's read on. <laughs> so in verse 11, Mary was standing outside the tomb crying. So again, she stayed. Um, and as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they've taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they've put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? I love Jesus. I just, I, the way that he just asks questions to prompt like us to think and to realize, oh, anyways, that's a whole tangent, but anyways, so he's asking her, who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you've taken him away, tell me where you've put him and I will go and get him. So again, she thinks that this guy moved Jesus. And so she's like, where'd you put him? Like, I need to be with him. Um, Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, Rabbani, which is Hebrew for teacher. So he said her name and suddenly it clicked. She knew, oh my gosh, this is Jesus. Like she recognized him. So in verse seven, 17, don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the father, but go find my brothers and tell them I'm ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I've seen the Lord. Then she gave them his message. So what it doesn't tell you in John, but it tells you in Mark, let me see if I've got the reference. I can't find it at the moment, that's fine. Anyways, somewhere in Mark, it tells that the disciples didn't believe her. She went to them and said, hey guys, like I just saw Jesus, I just met him, like, and, and, the, and the angels and all the things. I can imagine, she's probably losing her mind, you know, because she went from this place of intense grief to watching the man who changed her life hanging on a cross and then put into a tomb to all of a sudden he's back. Like, I would be absolutely jumping for joy, screaming, losing my mind. You'd see me running around like, so she's probably, I can imagine, she's probably giddy and she's so excited and she's so excited to tell them like, guys, I just saw Jesus. And they reply with, they thought she was making it up. They thought she was crazy. They thought she was seeing things. That's not very encouraging. Like, they completely doubted her. Um, yeah, which I just can't even imagine what I would do in that situation. Um, and so 
she had to have had felt alone, you know. But here's the other thing. This is probably the most significant, coolest thing that I have learned about Mary. Um, so in that passage that I read, in verse 17, at the very end, Jesus sent her to go tell the disciples. So like we talk about the Great Commission, which happens later, like after this whole encounter. The first person to be commissioned with the good news was Mary, not the disciples. And yes, the disciples were called. And yes, we're called. But it was Mary. And when she went and she listened to the Lord and she was faithful, people doubted her. There aren't even words like people. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'm getting worked up over here. <laughs> but because she was already this like countercultural woman doing the ministry with Jesus, walking, being faithful. And that was already crazy enough. But now the Lord sends her to go share this word and no one believes her. And so, but what's really cool about this is we don't hear about Mary shutting up. We don't hear about her hesitating or being quiet or being discouraged that even the disciples, which you have to imagine, the relationship she probably had with the disciples, like they were, they were a group, they were a gang. They've been through battle together. They've seen it all, or so they think. And so these would have been the people that she trusted the most because she's been with them for literally every day for the past like three years, you know? Or we don't know when she joined the scene, but you know, however long it was. But anyways, and again, it just speaks to the relationship that she had with Jesus that even when the people that she trusted the most doubted her and told her she was crazy and didn't believe her, she kept on trucking and she kept on believing and she kept on knowing that what she experienced was real and no one could tell her otherwise. And I bet that the disciples probably felt like, probably felt pretty foolish when they finally did see Jesus later and they were like, oh, dang it, Mary was right. Like, I can imagine they're all blushing and just like, oh, oh, oops, sorry, Mary. Like, I just feel like that would have been a really fun interaction to have seen. Because um, I would have been like, meh. <laughs> you know, I would have been rubbing it in. I don't think that she did. Um, good for her. <laughs> but anyways, I just think, like, Mary is so inspiring to me because she, like, Looking at her life, there was a lot of things. So she experienced a miracle in the transformation that happened in Luke 8. But then she watched all sorts of crazy miracles throughout Jesus' ministry. And then at the tomb, she saw angels. And then she saw Jesus. She was the first person to see the resurrected Jesus. Whoa! <laughs> like, oh my goodness. And so that just shows the relationship that Jesus had with her and how she had proven herself to be sold out for him, to love him, to follow him, to trust him, that he could trust that commission to her. Because that's a pretty big call. You can't just give that to anybody. I wouldn't go up to a random person on the street and be like, hey, I have this news. I need you to spread it to the world. I would go to the people that I trusted the most, the people that I knew would be faithful and they would say yes to what I had and that they would go out and actually do what I've asked them to. So clearly Mary had proven that she was sold out for Jesus and that this was a relationship 
that she was willing to do anything for and that Jesus could trust her. Um, and to kind of tie both of our characters together, which at first we were like, okay, this is exciting, we both have these characters. How the heck do they relate? Like, one was struggling with not being able to have a kid, the other one had some demons. Like, what, what, what's the connection here, right? Like it, and you're probably wondering the same thing yourself, but what we've realized was both of these women exemplified the lifestyle of saying yes and following whatever it was that God had for them and being faithful to that. Um, and so even when the rest of the world, literally the rest of the world, thought that they were cursed or scandalous or crazy, they didn't care because their relationship with God was greater than any of that. And the thing that the Lord downloaded to me last night that like really took my breath away is for both of these women, their story is significant, again, because of the relationship. They could have been two stories in the Bible of miracles where Hannah got pregnant and she had a son and that's great. And where Mary was healed from demons and that's great. Just like we have all these stories of people who've been healed and the Lord did an amazing work in their life and that's awesome. But I tell you, some of those stories you're probably pretty quick to forget because there's so many of them and they get caught in the shuffle. But these women are remembered throughout history because they went the next step. They said, God, you have encountered me. You have changed my life. And now I'm going to do everything that I can to repay the favor. I'm going to do everything that I can to follow you and to be faithful to whatever it is you call me to, even if everybody thinks I'm crazy. And it, even if it means I have to drop everything. And they said yes. And we remember them. And we study them. And we talk about them. And so if there's anything that um, I think I can speak for both of us, that we hope that you have gathered from today, is that you get in, like you get out what you put in. And that you have to make the choice to say yes to Jesus. Like, he will walk 99 steps to catch up to you, but you have to take the first step and say yes to him, because it's the beautiful but also horrible thing about free will. <laughs> he gives us the choice, which is amazing, and there's so, when you, when you make the choice, you realize the beauty and the significance of that, but again, you have to take that step. You have to say yes, you have to be open, and even when you, you have to do it afraid. They're doing it afraid today. That was our motto. <laughs> that was our motto, do it afraid, because we know that God is faithful, and when you do things afraid and you do things out of your own power and capacity, the Lord has to show up, because you give it, your 100% is not enough, and so you have to have the Lord to come in and fill in the rest. And so, for me, my big takeaway, and if you want to tag in, like, just to have the res like a life of resolution, of just yes. And there's a song, it's been stuck in my head all morning. Um, it's called Resounding Yes. And the chorus goes, uh, every beat in my heart is a resounding yes. Every breath that I breathe, my soul sings yes. And that is the life that I want to live. That is a life where when I do things afraid and I do things that I didn't think I can do, or I know that in my own ability, I just can't do, or the things where people are gonna say I'm crazy and I probably will get flack from the world. Those are the things, that's where I wanna be, 
because that's where the Lord's will is and that's where his favor and that's where the growth in my relationship to God is because I know that there's constantly more. I know that there's always things that I can be gleaning and learning and understanding, but I have to put myself in the position to accept and to receive those things. And so I just want you guys, like my challenge to you is, is that your heart posture today? Is that where you've been? Some of you may be like, yep, I'm there and that's great. And woohoo, let's do this thing together. But some of you, and I would venture to say probably a lot of us because that's where I was until like the last two weeks or so. We've got some room for growth, guys. So let's say yes, it's scary, it's hard, but it's oh so worth it. Yeah, and I just I kind of want to piggyback off of that a little bit because the Lord spoke a similar thing to my heart, and I know I'll speak for my husband, Nate, as well, um, to seek the Lord. Seek him when nothing else seems to be working out. Seek him when you're in your darkest place. These women chose to live a life for the Lord daily, yeah. and they didn't know when their affliction or their struggling would be over, but that's not what it was about. It was about glorifying and honoring the Lord for these women, no matter what their circumstance was. And the Lord loves us. He's our heavenly father. I mean, he, he doesn't want to see us struggle. He doesn't want to see us in affliction. Um, but he shows us his grace and his mercy, and it might not be in our timing, but the more we say yes, the more we honor him, the more we're living in his call for our life. So yeah. I think you hit the, the nail on the head with that one. <laughs> Awesome, would you you give them a hand? I am so excited that at the summit we value those, uh, we value the voices. And I, whenever I asked you both to do this, um, I know it was the Lord and I know I wasn't supposed to say anything other than, I need you to speak on this date and uh, and I need you to bring whatever the Lord has for you. And I've, I've enjoyed watching the struggle, <laughs> the struggle and the, the deepening of your walk with him. And uh, yesterday at camp on the way home, it was a great word um, that was brought at camp, but we were asking our car, if you ever ride with me on a trip, you'll find out that it's never quiet and they try to fall asleep, but we're going to ask them hard <laughs> questions and they're laughing because they get it. Um, we asked the hard questions and one of the questions was, what, what was your biggest takeaway? And, and somebody in, in the back of the van said uh, that... Jesus has done everything he's going to do, and he's done everything to pay for first place in our lives. Are we going to give it to him? And I see that I see that in you guys, and I see that in the stories of your characters, that there came a point in their life where they said, okay, I've taken first place, or I've put something else first place in my life. And right now, the only thing that I can put in first place is the one that's paid for it already. And so would you stand with me this morning? Number one, I want, I want us to take a heart posture this morning, as was said, that, um, that he has first place. He has everything that we, that we are. And, uh, and that's our belief. That's what we want for everybody associated with this ministry. Um, but I also want you to extend your hands up toward them as we pray. Uh, I believe that, that God has some great things for these ladies, even though they don't understand that. Same with Logan. I, the, like, there's some great things going on. So as we pray, it's a, it's a prayer for them, but it's also going to reflect back to you. 
and that is that as we speak over their lives and what God has for them, uh, that he would be first place in your life and that no distraction would take you away, not demons, not, not principalities, not powers, not, uh, not a, anything that would come upon your life, as we heard in the lives of these two characters, would take first place away from him. And so, Father, today we just extend our hands toward these ladies. Lord, I pray for Mickey, I pray for Sabrina. Lord, I know, I know stories, I know things in their life, and Lord, I just pray that you would just accelerate their walk with you. We know that when we focus on the world, when we put the world in first place, that that's all we see. But Lord, I, I'm speaking over them right now that from this point on, they've said yes, they've done the thing that w was scary for them, that was hard for them in their, in their flesh, Lord, but uh, they've grown today. And Lord, I thank you for them. I thank you that as they continue to focus on you and make you number one, that you're gonna straighten out all the other things in life. You're gonna straighten out all the questions that they have and you're gonna equip them to do the work of ministry, to raise up people, to raise up women, into ministry that can be transformative powers in a world that is is completely against and and even though the world says that they're for women they're really not and we are for women and you are for women and so lord i thank you for their obedience and lord right now i just turn this back to every single person online in the room lord may we have a heart posture this morning that puts you in first place the the wisdom that came from the back of the van Lord, I just pray that that would, that would just be on the top of our mind all week, that you are number one. And anytime that something tries to creep into that number one spot, we say, wait, 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 no, no, no. This is reserved for the one who paid it all for me. He paid for this spot, and I'm going to make sure that he keeps it. And so, Lord, we just give you this time. Lord, thank you just for your presence in this place. I thank you for wisdom, knowledge, and understanding, and that through your servants, truth is spoken and received to every open heart. Now, Lord, may the rain of the Spirit fall on that seed and the soil of every heart, and may it produce a plant that produces fruit that would build your kingdom. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. you enjoyed today's message, I would like to encourage you to like it and share it on all social media platforms or jump on the website, thesummitdover.com or the app and click the giving link and help us continue to share the message of the kingdom across the world. God bless you and have an awesome week.